What's up, Tri-Valley? Hi, it's Jacob on the screen in this comfortable chair. <laughs> Wearing the same outfit I wore last week. This is actually Sunday afternoon on November 5th. Uh, I'm looking ahead to the fall retreat, which when you're seeing this, that's where I will be. I'm up at Shenandoah West having a great weekend with uh, our teens and adult volunteers on the youth retreat. At least that's where I think we're going to be. It is six days from now, and uh, maybe the plans will change. Maybe the place will burn down. Maybe there won't be enough students signed up. Maybe a car will break down and we'll have to come back early. I really don't know. I'm hoping that the plans that we made are the plans that we actually get to have, but you really can never tell. And that's kind of the theme we're gonna hear from James this morning in the next passage as we study through our series, Embodied Faith, and listen to the wisdom of James. One of the best, the biggest comebacks in all of NFL history happened just about a year ago, and it was in a game between the Minnesota Vikings and the Indianapolis Colts. The Vikings were not playing very well, but the Colts were having a fantastic game, and by halftime, the score was 33-0. to zero. The Vikings had not put one point up on the board, and everybody thought, well, this is going to decide it. This, we all see where this is going. But the Vikings had a fantastic, not really even third quarter, they had a fantastic second half of the third quarter and then a phenomenal fourth quarter. And with just two minutes left in the game, they managed to get 34 points. So it was 34 to 36. They had just scored a touchdown and they realized we got to go for it. We got to do the two-point conversion. So they went for it and they got it. They tied it up 36 to 36. The clock ran out. So now it's time to go into overtime. The two teams battled it out into overtime, no score the whole time, until there were three seconds left on the clock, and the Minnesota Vikings had the chance to score a field goal. They kicked the 35-footer, and it went right through the uprights. They won. They won the game. They won the division. It was a fantastic win. It was an insane, incredible, unpredictable comeback. Nobody could have seen this coming, and it just goes to show you that you never can tell. You can never tell how things are going to go. But James is going to speak to some people in the church and maybe even some people outside of the church who think they can know. We can arrange our lives and make plans in a way that we can get everything we want if we just follow the plan. James is going to say, that attitude is arrogant and it excludes God. Listen to what James says here. This is James chapter 4 starting in verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, he tells them, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James is addressing the arrogant attitude that says, we've got this. We know how to make money. We know how to structure our lives. Pray about it, maybe, I guess, but we don't really need God. Kind of like last week, we heard James say that when you slander your neighbor, you make yourself a judge. You're putting yourself in God's 
seat. You're, you're playing God, and that's not a good thing. That's not a faithful attitude. In the same way, when you make plans, you ought to say, well, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this. I think it's really important for us to do this, and Christians ought to take this to heart. A lot of the times, we make plans, and we only pray about the big things. I've noticed that in church and in your formal prayer gatherings, the things that tend to be brought up as prayer requests or things that need to be prayed about are often the things that are in closest proximity to a hospital. Do you know what I mean? Have you noticed this? If somebody is sick and might need to go to the ER, or if you found out someone was in the ER, if someone got admitted to the hospital, or if there's a diagnosis that requires a return visit to a doctor's office or a hospital or an emergency room, those are the ones that we lift up sometimes exclusively. And there's nothing wrong with praying for people who are sick, the people near our hospitals, the people who are experiencing health situations out of their control. Absolutely, absolutely we should pray for them. But we don't always pray our plans. Have you noticed this? We make our plans, we try to live our lives by them, but we often don't include God in our plans. We say, oh, I'm going to work tomorrow, or I'm, I'm taking a vacation in this month. Maybe you are, and maybe you aren't. And this may seem just like a little thing. You might say, okay, well, I'll start praying my plans a little more if, if it's going to be such a big deal for you, Jacob. But it really kind of shapes your whole outlook on life. If you make plans and they don't go through, do you flip out a little bit? Do you tend to blame the people around you? You made me late. You, you caused this to happen. You were the reason that we didn't get to X, Y, and Z, and, and so on. It kind of feels like people are trying to thwart you. You take it personally when you don't really need to. An attitude that says, God is involved. I want God to be involved. I want God to bless my plans. I want God to oversee my plans. And if for some reason it gets canceled, it gets delayed, it gets changed, well, I'm walking by faith. I'm trusting that God is going to have me whether I plan to go this direction or plan to go this direction. Now, there's something to be said for praying in faith, and James will talk about this later on in his letter. Uh, we definitely should pray bold prayers. We should pray in faith. There's certain things we know God wants for bringing forth his kingdom. But when it comes to our plans and our money and how we're going to do our business and where we're going to take our families and how we're going to structure our calendars, I think that a good dose of humility is in order. If we got better at saying, if it's the Lord's will. When we lived in the South, there was this expression we heard quite a bit, like, oh, are you going to be there at the event tonight? And someone would say, well, I'll be there, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. <laughs> I thought that was charming. I thought that was a, a fun way of acknowledging God. But there really is some, if the person is sincere in saying that, like, yeah, I'm planning on being there, but who knows? God could have other plans for me. And it's not, I've learned, it's not a way of just giving yourself an out to be like, yeah, yeah, I'll commit to being there unless something better comes along. I mean, you know, the creek don't rise means something that, that God is in control of gets in the way of it, and I'm okay with that. However you use that phrase or hear that phrase, I think it's good to acknowledge Lord willing. That's what James is saying to these people here. Apparently, there were some people that needed to hear this. They had an arrogant attitude. I'm going to do this. You're all going to fall in line. God can be involved if he wants, but either way, we got the plan. James says, that's boasting. That's arrogant. And he kind of takes on a prophetic tone in this section and the next section. He starts to sound like some of the prophets that say, 
Enjoy your wealth while you can. If that's the way you're going to live your life, you better enjoy it while it lasts because it won't last long. And in this next section, he's going to remind people that are oppressing the poor, that are putting all of their value, all of their self-worth in their wealth, he's going to remind them, you are this mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life is short. This is not the only place in Scripture where you'll hear this It's like Jesus' words. What will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or Paul agrees with both Jesus and James. In Philippians, he says, more than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And the wisdom of Proverbs agrees. The human mind plans the way, but the Lord directs the steps. All our steps are ordered by the Lord. How then can we understand our own ways? And the prophets, too, warn of this presumptuous attitude. I know, O Lord, that the way of human beings is not in their control, that mortals as they walk cannot direct their steps. In short, you really never know. And it's arrogant to think Otherwise, James goes on to say this. Now listen, you rich people. By the way, he begins this section and the last section we read with the same phrase. Now listen is what the NIV says, but you could translate it, hey, listen up. He's gonna get serious. He's gonna be direct. He's gonna be a little prophetic and a little harsh here. So buckle up for some (laughs) James unhinged. Now listen up, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like a fire. Yikes. He says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He says, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Those are pretty strong words from James. And maybe he's speaking to specific people that were committing specific acts of injustice, taking advantage of the poor, allowing them to work in their fields, which they probably said, here are our plans. Today or tomorrow, we'll plant this field and... Whether it's the Lord's will or not, we are going to take advantage of these people because we can, because there's an opportunity and we're going to take it. And James says, nope. He reminds them of the frailty of life. He says, here's what's going to happen. Your clothes, your fancy clothes that you're so proud of, the moths are going to eat that. Your gold and your silver, they're going to be corroded. They're not going to be valuable anymore. It's going to be completely useless Your wealth is rotted. Do not put trust in these earthly things. He's calling them out for the ungodly attitude that they have. In the first section, the problem was arrogance. In the second section, this problem that he's seeing is oppression. People who claim to know God are taking advantage of people, and that's not the way of Jesus. So we have arrogance is a problem. Oppression is a problem. And then in the next section, he gives kind of an antidote, a solution. Also, citing 
one of the prophets as an example. And the antidote seems to be patience. Don't be anxious. Don't make plans without including God. Don't count on your money. Don't get wealth at whatever costs, especially if the costs are injustices and ungodly practices. Instead, develop patience. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Patience, something we all probably need to develop, <laughs> even if just in incremental, small measures. It's important for the people who are oppressing the poor, develop patience so you won't feel like you need to break God's commands in order to get what you need. And for those of you who are on the receiving end of that oppression, well, be patient as well. God sees it. God knows it. He hears your cries. He says, God is the judge and he will do the judging. The judge himself is standing at the door. Just more wisdom from James. Here's what I want us to do as we close out hearing these words and thinking about how can we put them into practice. I want you to take out a piece of paper or take out your device and your note section wherever you jot things down. I want you to make some plans. I want you to start writing out a list of plans. It could be the plans you have for the rest of the day. It could be the plans you have for the week or even maybe your holiday plans, your upcoming plans, however you want to slice it up. But I want you to make a list of plans and I want you to practice putting Lord willing at the beginning of your plans. Lord willing, I'm going to go to a restaurant for lunch today. Lord willing, I'm going to catch a Sunday afternoon nap. Again, it's a small difference in how you declare what it is you're going to do and maybe even a small difference in how you think about it, but it's a big difference if it's taking the Lord and involving him in areas of your life that he wasn't previously invited to be a part of. Get in the habit of saying and thinking and praying, Lord willing, I'm going to do this. And I don't know that you necessarily have to say it every single time you make a declarative statement, but if that becomes your attitude, I'll do this if it's God's will, and if not, I'll be patient. I will wait. I will listen. So write your plans and invite the Lord to be a part of them. And then I want you to share these plans with somebody next to you. And then I want you to commit to praying for one another's plans. Again, a lot of times when we ask, how can I pray for you? We go to, uh, well, what's wrong? Or who is someone in my life who is feeling helpless or weak or sick? And that's fine. Again, pray for the sick. Pray for those who are in need. But don't leave yourself out of that. That's the problem James is addressing. It's a problem of arrogance. So get in the habit when someone says, how can I pray for you? Maybe think of your plans and say, 
Pray for my plans. We go to the lake every year, and this year we're planning to go to the lake, and there's no reason I can see why we wouldn't, but pray about that. Pray, Lord, if it's your will, my friend and his family want to have a great time at the lake. Uh, that's how I want you to spend the next few minutes together. So I'll put the prompt here on the screen, but that's how we'll end today. It's just write your plans, put Lord willing at the beginning of all your plans, share these plans with somebody next to you, and then pray for one another, and that's it. Looking forward to being back with you next Sunday, Lord willing. We'll see. I'm planning on coming back. I'm planning on preaching more James, but you never know. You never can tell. But Lord willing, I will see you all again very soon.